Hello and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about luck versus skill. Yeah, because we didn't talk about it enough last week. Yes, so this is a continuation of our 300th episode with uh, Annie Duke, where we talked about making better decisions and the role of luck and skill in outcomes and on and on and on. And we even did a lightning round at the end, but we still probably could have talked for another hour easily. Yeah, she was great. I mean, talk about knowing when to quit. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. So one of the things that that I th- that we both felt could have been explored more is this kind of luck versus skill thing. And I love the story she tells in probably all of her books about people kind of over the the cognitive the bias cognitive bias to blame bad luck when things go wrong but to take credit when things go right <laughs> as if you had some control over it so it's like people will quickly point to bad luck and it it seems true in my experience like they don't point to good luck good luck as often as they point to bad luck as the cause of an outcome yeah. So yeah, go ahead. I heard the I heard the intake. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was sitting there going, "Do I want to go into a story now? I, I think I want to let you frame this, but I do have a story about that because we we all do that, and I know I do. There are moments where I just think, "Oh, well, that was a baller move, of course." It, and then if you really sit and think about it, it was purely luck in terms of timing mm-hmm. or something else. So yeah, I think it's important especially when we can look backwards to really think about, you know, what could we have done differently? And there's not much you can do about luck, but there are things we can do that are related to skill. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, the one thing I always point to in my past that was, was a lot of good luck was when I, the time, the, the basically point in time when I published my iPhone book, couldn't have been better and it was completely by accident i ran into a guy from o'reilly at a party and pitched a book to him which he took to the editors and they said no but do you have something else and i said i've got an idea for an iphone book and like it came out perfect time it was total luck it was a good book but it wasn't like it wasn't like earth shattering but the timing was just fantastic Mm -hmm. and i i had I mean, it couldn't have been luckier. So it's like running into someone at a party from a big publisher. It was random. And see, somebody else would say, well, yeah, but you went to the party, which shows that you were working really hard because you had this book idea that you were just, yeah, yeah. That's that's my point. I mean, right. these are the stories we tell ourselves. Right. Yeah, I, I was networking my face off and, and subconsciously I was going to pitch this second book idea. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, because that was really your plan all along. Was yeah. That first one was just a throwaway. Right. <laughs> Who knows what would have happened if I got the first one published. It was much more evergreen. But anyway, um, so let's talk about it. So do we want to jump right into ways to identify luck versus skill or to you know, for making decisions or retroactively how do you calibrate your meter and why bother yeah you know i, I kind of i'm wanting to tell a story i'm wondering if we can use this as an example see what you think okay so uh my my real estate business right so um the idea was to find a property that needed some love not lots and lots of love but some love that, that was underappreciated mm-hmm. um, bring it back to life rent it out and slowly wait for it to double in value mm-hmm. right so we bought the property in 2019 
Um, you all know what happened in 2020 with the pandemic. And all of a sudden, real estate prices went crazy. So it would be really easy for me to sit back and go, oh, well, it was total skill. <laughs> I bought exactly the right house. And at the time, I was patting myself on the back. I mean, I think I got a really good deal. But the truth is, because the market moved outside of any control that we had, um, I probably could have bought another one and been as successful, maybe even more successful. Hmm. Right. So there was a huge element of luck. And I always chuckle when I hear like the real estate crowd talking about how many doors they have, and, <laughs> you know, all the stuff. But they never talk about the thing that's really important. Like, well, are, are you cash flowing? Right. Like, are you getting money from this? Are you how is this working? So, yeah, it's like I feel like it would be so easy and a lot of people did, actually, when we sold it. They were like, oh, man, you were so smart. You did that. I'm like, no, I wasn't. I mean, yeah, I mean, I acted when somebody else might not have, but somebody else who acted similarly would have been rewarded in pretty much the same way. There wasn't anything special about us, which sort of bugs me because I like to be special. <laughs> but it was a lot of it was luck. It reminds me of my first house where I, I could point to bad luck because I got killed on my first house and i could point to bad luck if i wanted to you know if i mm -hmm. if i wanted to hide from the fact that i made a horrible a, whole, a series of horrible decisions when i sold when i went to sell the place <laughs> when i went to put it on the market and yeah it was just like it was not bad luck i mean the prices were down we were you know when we sold it or when we want when we put it on the market prices were down uh, but we, we really had strong reason to move. It was like this, you know, I could really, I could blame bad luck. Oh, the, you know, the market was down, you know, what could I have possibly done? Of course I took a loss, but no, I made a bunch of dopey decisions. I, I contradicted the, the, um, or I refused to accept the advice from the realtor who obviously is more of an expert, expert than me. I mean, it was my <laughs> first house. I had never sold one. So it was just silly. It was just silly. And uh, I paid the price. And I take full credit for I mean, that was my fault. That was not bad luck. <laughs> but it sure would be nice to point to bad luck and be like, oh, yeah, that f whatever it was, 40 or 80 grand I lost, if you, depending on how you count it. It stinks. <sighs> yeah, it stinks. Yeah. Good lesson. Mm. Not yeah. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> Good lesson at the end. But who wants to learn that one the hard way? Right. I, it's hard for us. To, it's hard for, I, I know I've talked to this with my wife. Repeatedly, it's hard to imagine selling the house that we're in right now, like ever. But if I were to do it again, I, I would have learned my lesson. And maybe this is a segue into what you can do about luck. I mean, especially the bad kind, uh, in terms of mitigation and preparation and those sorts of things. So, like mm -hmm. the the nice part about acknowledging that not everything's under your control or a skill based outcome is that it allows you to. Uh, imagine worst case scenarios and like, okay, like what are the odds of this happening? What, you know, it's go guesswork, but it's like, what, yeah. are, what I think the odds of this happening are and what would be the impact if it did and come up with a lot of times, it's been my experience when I think like this, that a lot of times you can, you can tweak your decision in a way that would, that's not meaningful in terms of your outcomes that really does make the effect of bad luck a lot lower. Yeah, that's why I liked um, Annie's uh, concept of pre-mortems, right? Where you're thinking before you do something, like what are all the things that could go right and wrong? 
But although the way she positioned it in the book is that it's a way to get, like when you're working with a team, it's a way to get the non-optimistic voices a chance to be heard. And that way, even the people who like the direction the least are more apt to go all in, Mm -hmm. right? Because they've been heard and their concerns have been considered in terms of how how the project let's call it a project how the project moves forward Mm -hmm. but i think when it's just us as soloists or maybe with our in in concert with our advisors i mean it's really helpful to sit there and say okay so what happens if i put all my eggs in this basket and the economy crashes or if you're a bankruptcy lawyer the economy does great right (laughs) it's like what are those things that can impact you and it's not to get you to this point of being so frozen with fear that you don't make a move but i do think we tend to be optimistic when it comes to business moves yeah as a group i would say it's something Roughly guessing, it's something like 85% of the people I talk to that are solopreneurs or soloists are, they fall in the optimistic camp. Mm-hmm. And a, a smaller percentage falls in the pessimistic camp. And protecting yourself against over optimism, I think it was a big, it was a big, it came up a lot with her, with Annie. On, um, it came up a little bit in the episode, but it comes up a lot in her work of sort of recalibrating your optimism so that it's just a little bit more pragmatic and realistic and makes you more resilient. Because if you, I mean, she would probably say, don't put all your eggs in one basket, Mm -hmm. right? Because it's like, you want to be able to come back every day and keep playing. It's like, fold that hand. Like you got dealt two bad cards, just fold the hand and wait for better cards, right? Like that's, that's huge. I think that concept right there, waiting for better cards is huge. And it's so hard. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I'm mean, not even talking about poker because I mean, that's you've got, you know, the thrill of the chase and the lights and the action and all of that. But just in anything like you've designed this thing, it's your baby and nobody thinks it's beautiful. It's not working. Stop. Yeah. Try something else. Right. But yeah, it's so hard. We hold on with both hands really, really tight. Yeah, I've got a great idea. It's like, do you <laughs> prove it to me? You know, like. So it's like there's a an interview. I've never been able to find it, but I think it's from the Walter Isaacson book, where, where Steve Jobs was interviewed after. I think it was after the iPhone. Might have been after the iPod, but I think it was after the iPhone. I can't remember. It was like they had a huge success with one of their one of their products, and you know they were like, "What are you going to do next?" And his answer was, "I'm going to wait for the next big thing." Mm. <laughs> right so it's like which totally defines their style apple style at least yeah. in that era where they would just jump on the bandwagon of something right when it was like needed to be perfected it was ready for prime time and then they would like nail it mm-hmm. so it but the the reason that you made me think of it is because of the patience aspect you know he's waiting for better cards basically yeah yeah, and I just, as humans, we're not really good at being patient. And that's sometimes where it's really helpful just to get somebody else's input, you know, somebody who kind of understands your field or your expertise but isn't in it, you know, the same way that you are. Sure. There's that, that whole sunk cost piece. And um, the, the point that she made, and we've talked about it a few times, is that if that decision is tied to your identity, it makes it even harder right. to quit. right. So, yeah, so we were talking before the show a little bit about a couple of things in this area. And one is that a big theme in her quit book, in fact, quite quite a bit of it is taken up with 
the shame aspects of quitting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was making the joke earlier that like, unless you're flinging yourself into a volcano, you're not really quitting, you're pivoting. <laughs> so you're moving from whatever you're doing now to something that would be, a, you know, you're folding that hand and you're going to get new cards in three minutes, you know, or whatever it is in poker. Right. So if you, so it's not, so if you don't think of it as quitting, you think of it as pivoting, maybe it's a big pivot, but if you think of it like that, I think it takes some of the sting out of it. A uh, great example is Stuart Butterfield folding glitch, giving the money back to the investors and and creating Slack. Mm, it was like, love that right? story. Good move. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he's he saw better cards. He's like, oh, there's better cards over there. That line, the grocery store is going a lot faster. I'm going to jump and, over and there. And he didn't see Slack when he made that decision. That's what I thought made it even more powerful. It's like, I can't, I'm looking forward all of these steps and I can't see any way that this is a good outcome. So we need to fold now. And it's kind of the opposite of what you expect in the startup space. Yeah, right. So, the, and the other thing is about the identity thing. That That is hard. That is definitely hard. I've wrestled with that one where it's like, you know, I actually made a list in preparation for the interview with Annie of like, what are the identities that I'm most loathe to give up? Mm. You know what I mean? Like over the course yeah. of, of my very long life, what <laughs> what were the things that I would introduce myself as? I'm a musician, I'm a guitarist, I'm a whatever, I'm a black belt, I'm a entrepreneur, whatever, whatever the things are, I'm a de- web developer. What were the ones that were the hardest to let go of? And what was the hardest one? Well, I, the ones I haven't let go of. <laughs> <laughs> Musician's probably the hardest. Like, I have to admit to myself, I am not a musician anymore. I'm just not. And it, it's just not fair for me to say that. It's, it, it, it's not a daily practice. It's not a weekly practice. It's not a monthly practice. If I touched my guitar once in a year, that's mm. surprising. It's just, I'm just not a musician. Uh, I'm a you know, recovering musician, perhaps, but... Uh, but that one was brutal. That one was brutal because for years, decades, I went to college for music. Yeah. Spent tons it. of money. Right. And absolutely loved it f- for certain reasons. But then at a certain point was just so, it just made me angry all the time for a variety of reasons. So it's like, this isn't good. I need to, I'm going to go do computers. Computers is making me happy all the time. So I just switched back to computers and then, you know, and then stayed on that track for a long, long time. Yeah, that one was rough, though. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's funny because going back to the real estate example, I got into this idea that I'm a real estate investor. Like, I really got into that. Like, And there's a whole thing. Like, I can join a club. Uh-huh. Whereas with a lot of my day-to-day work, there's not a lot of clubs to join, right? <laughs> and so it was kind of cool. And so when I let that label go, I, I wouldn't say it was painful, but it wasn't easy. Mm-hmm. Like I, I really had to think about it because there's just something, and I'm sure it's tied to, you know, my identity as an entrepreneur. Like that, I'm not letting that go. Like mm. I can't not look at something and go, oh, you could make a business out of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is what you could do to make a business out of that. So I think that's that was the the challenge, but it was a very short lived, you know, career. Right. <laughs> a very short lived identity, like four years out of out of my entire life. Right. So, yeah, it is that some of those things are really hard to let go. Mm. And I, but I think to your p- earlier point, like most of the people that are listening here, you're not necessarily standing on the edge of a precipice deciding like, you know, are you going to jump or not? It's, um, what, do I want to make a change? Do I want to let maybe this one little thing go and try for something else? Or, you know, do I want to let something that has been 
a hefty percentage of my revenue, but that isn't speaking to me anymore? Hmm. Am I ready to take the risk that goes with dropping that? I mean, right. we've had that conversation in, in my Slack group recently where someone was um, really knew that they needed to let go of a client, a longtime client, that it was time, but it was such easy money. It's like, oh, I just don't have to worry. It's just nice having that come in and not worry about it. Mm -hmm. But they'd reached the point where, you know, they knew it was time and they, they, they made the move, right? Yeah. And of course, instantly after you do something like that, you tend to feel lighter. Um, yeah. Yeah. A right. lot lighter. Yeah. yeah. Cause you know. We, yeah, You've and we, we take a long time to make those kinds of decisions. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, I think it's a good thing to think through what the implications are of decisions. There's, I don't think either one of us is saying go out and be impulsive and just quit things because you're tired of them in that moment. Um, but yeah, it can feel really good when you quit the right thing. <laughs> but let's get back to luck versus skill. Yeah. So why bother calibrating for that? Who cares, right? Like, who cares if it was luck or skill? What's What's your reaction to that? Well, yeah, I'm. I'm actually thinking. Um, I guess I care because I want to know if I'm getting better at something. Uh. Like, is my am I getting better? Am I the same or am I worse? Because I could make a move that feels like the exact right move, but my timing is bad. That's the luck piece. Mm -hmm. Like I have an idea that's, and this has happened to me. I had an idea that's ahead of its time. Oh yeah. And it, it didn't work for me. Right. So yeah, so it kind of, I, I to this day don't think it was skill, I think, or lack of skill in this case. I think it was bad timing. And maybe I could have figured out a way to make it work, but I didn't want to because I wanted it to work the way I wanted it to work. <laughs> yeah. So, that, so maybe that is a lack of skill, <laughs> but it was a it was a vision. It was a way that I wanted to do that. So, yeah, I think from a skill standpoint, it's like it's going to sound kind of silly, maybe, but I really don't want to pat myself on the back for making a genius move when it, I just got lucky because I'm not going to learn from that. And the next time I'm in a similar kind of a situation and I'm thinking, oh, this is all about me and my skill set. And then I get, bam, you know, the fickle <laughs> finger of fate hits me upside the head. And I'm like, but it worked before. Yeah. Why didn't it work now? So I think it's about learning and getting smarter for the next thing. Right. I mean, what do you think? That's ex that that second half there is exactly what I think. It scares me to to not have any sense of what was lucky and what wasn't because you're automatically if you don't think about that, you're automatically going to it's going to accrue to skill in your head and like you know, you can do no wrong or whatever. Golden boy, boom, it, just like making unicorns left and right. And, and then it just turns out like the market was hot, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. that, that, and I know I'm in the category of over-optimist. I'm definitely, I'm fairly pragmatic, but I, I am a re recovering optimist, I would say. I, I know that I am overly optimistic about, for example, like you're, you're, I was laughing to myself when you were talking about idea before it's time, like a bunch of times I've. I've made predictions or made bets on a particular technology 
that you know oh, it's going to be here next year like mobile payments can be here next year it's 2012 it couldn't it couldn't possibly take longer than 2012 and then when they replaced all the credit card machines i'm like this is it this is the moment for mobile payments <laughs> didn't happen until covid and it's still not that common and i just like it, it it'll eventually be here but i'm like i just got out of the prediction game a long time ago because i i'm just way over optimistic about how quickly society's going to adopt things and it, it's and I was always in this filter bubble at the time. I was in this filter bubble of early adopters, mm-hmm. like real bleeding edge people. Yeah. So we're all looking around like this is the best thing since sliced bread. Like, of course, this is going to catch on. You know, a decade later, nope, just still slow and steady. Yeah. So for me, to the extent that history predicts the future, it's like if I would look back at how I did something that worked. I want to know which pieces actually worked, like which pieces I had control over and which pieces I didn't. So like the book, for example, the the iPhone book example, you know, I, I think I did a pretty good job of writing that book. I had good editors. Uh, I, I really researched the information. There, it was all brand new tech, so there was no competition really. But but that that was just table stakes, honestly. It was all the timing. Like I have mm-hmm. no illusions about that. Like I... <laughs> Um, so that I think that's good, you know, so like if I if since I know that if I look forward, then it's like, okay, what are the things I can control? Uh, and what what can I do to counteract any bad luck that comes with that? Which for a book doesn't seem like that big a deal. I mean, worst case scenario, it doesn't sell that well. But if I switch to a different thing that maybe I took too much credit for, I definitely took too much credit for at the time was when my consulting business was really really benefiting from that book three maybe three mm. years later and i was just getting phone calls all the time i mean it was it was yeah, a, a common awesome. yeah it was great <laughs> and i was like oh this is just this is the way it's going to be from now on i just like nailed it i'm set set for life you know i didn't think those thoughts consciously but that's how i behaved as if i were set for life and uh i don't like speaking to these conferences anymore it's kind of annoying i'm gonna stop doing that i'm like ugh. I got this book deal, but I don't really want to write it. And it's kind of a rehash. I'm just going to cancel this book deal. And then all this, you know, two years after that, it's like, uh, crickets. Hello. Uh, yep. Where's my money? Where's my income? <laughs> Stop putting gas in the machine. Yeah. So I, I, I th- I'm trying to remember if I thought about it at the time, about how lucky the timing of the iPhone book was. I think I did know that. I think I was aware of the fact that my timing was just like superhuman or I shouldn't put it like that. It was just lucky. Um, but I didn't I didn't account for that in terms of business. So I didn't make a whole bunch of risk mitigation. There's a, so many things I could mm. have done to prevent the ultimate stall of leads. And so my leads stopped coming in. I still had long-term retainer clients, so it wasn't like it wasn't like my income tanked overnight or anything, but I was just like, wow, I haven't gotten a lead in like 6 months. That's not normal. I just wasn't paying attention to it. And I, I don't know if I, I think the it's it's not. Well, I guess in retrospect, it's so predictable. But at the time, I don't think it was predictable. Like it felt like mobile was never going to stop ascending. Uh, it was never going to hit the top and turn yeah. into an S curve. And of course, that happened. I'm trying to think I'm trying to th- I'm trying to find in this story. I'm trying to find a bad luck because it really this is lack of skill, lack of awareness. But I suppose it's because I was over-indexing on, like, I wasn't paying attention to really how lucky I was timing-wise. Well, I mean, if you if that were today, you would have systems in place that would say, oh, 
I, my revenue is down from the last quarter. My leads are down. My email subscribers are down. Yeah. I mean, you would, you would, you would see some signs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. And I, I guess that's skill. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's having an early warning system, I suppose. Mm-hmm. The, I think the thing that, I think the thing that I wasn't, it's hard to call this luck because it was such a long-term thing, but the thing that I was blind to was that I'm, you know, the Jeffrey Moore's crossing the chasm, normal distribution curve with the the gap, <laughs> the chasm. Mm-hmm. I burned through the early adopters, and and then that was it. Like mm. the by the time we got to like the middle market, that's when things started slowing. Yeah, I guess it feels it feels like it was too long term for luck. It wasn't like a single decision. It was a million little decisions that were. I guess I guess if I, if I could pull luck into this at all, it would be that I was overconfident because I was under appreciating how lucky the timing really was yeah, and just acting as if, you know, that I'd just be making hay forever. Well, yeah. I mean, and that's a very human emotion, right? It's like, oh, I cracked the code. Mm-hmm. I know how to do this now. Oh, okay. I, I can just it. like sail into the sunset. Yeah, exactly. I made it. And what we don't realize, which has really always been true, is when we make it, we don't make it forever. Just like when our our luck is down, it doesn't have to be down forever. Mm-hmm. You know, things change, and that's yeah, that's the the challenge. And I think I think the people that have the hardest time. I'm thinking of somebody I used to know who had a really super successful real estate business, like really successful, and he was so fond of saying, "I'm a self made man." <laughs> The thing is, he married a woman who came from a family with a fair amount of money, and his father-in-law lent him all the money for his first deal. Mm-hmm. So, like, good for him, but, like, how do how does that make you self-made? Like, don't you want to give credit to some other people? So when somebody feels that way, they, they overemphasize their own brilliance right and yeah. how they get ahead and they underestimate the help that they get from others and i i think when that happens we act differently mm-hmm. and i think when we have a challenging set of circumstances there's not always a circle of people around to help you to the next spot sure yeah and we haven't uh, uh, there's the whole like being born on third base kind of luck mm-hmm. that uh, that you have you know, it just happened. It's historic. It's historical fact. Like whatever, wherever you were born, however you were born, it's all true. So I, I find, I feel like I want to zoom into people making business decisions that are, um, a little bit less long-term where, cause that, that was the thing about the poker hands. And we brought this up with Annie. It was like, well, how do we, it's important to have a, a really tight feedback loop. And I was like, what if you make a bet that has a really long feedback loop? And she said, there's no such thing. Like there's always some kind of leading indicators that would give you a sense of like how the bet is going. And the the thing that comes up for me with coaching is that there's this, the, 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 the risky, air quotes, risky decision, a lot of times is around positioning. Mm-hmm. It could be. It could be around creating a new product, like a course or something that's going to take a non-trivial amount of effort to create. But it's it, and sometimes it's around quitting something like firing a client or um, or giving up a particular product line or not doing consulting, you know, not doing one-on-one consulting anymore, and I want to switch to product or some some right. something like that. 
where it's still in the future. So I feel like a lot of the conversation is that we're looking backwards, but if you look forward and you don't yet have the postmortem or benefit of hindsight, uh, it just, it comes back to like something we've talked about over and over, which is making small bets, like bets that you can recover from Mm -hmm. so that you can get more data. Like you're, you're never going to have perfect data. And I hear this all the time with, with, um, with someone who's like hesitant to niche at all. Like it's not even like they're, they're, it's not even like they're not sure about this particular one. They'll say like, well, I don't want to spend six months. I want to waste all this time to find out that this was a bad choice. And it's like, well, I don't know what other, like, so just do, don't spend 40 hours a week over the course of six months, do small things. And if, and and I think you even said like six months is too long. Like you'd be able to tell quicker than that if you're going to get traction in the space or if you're just, you know, barking up the wrong tree. Well, you know, she talked about kill criteria, but it's also sort of just your own criteria for success. And if you say, oh, I'm going to do this positioning and in one month I'm going to see all of the results that I want, you know, that's not realistic. Mm Mm-hmm. But you could say, hmm, here are the kinds of things I think I could see in a month, in two months, in three months. Um, and I mean, so there are ways to sort of, um, you know, drop the drop the, the breadcrumbs. Mm-hmm. Right. So let's let's talk for a second about luck in that space. So if you were uh, I just had a, a coaching call yesterday with someone who, you know, was he's like, I, I know I need to get more specific. I know he was a total generalist. I just I know I need to niche down on something. I'm not sure. You know, it's a classic. Mm-hmm. It's like I want to niche down, but how do I pick the right target market? Yep. How do I pick the right one? I'm like, well, I don't know. There's a right one. There's like ones that are going to work and ones that aren't going to work. So which ones are the easiest for you to get access to? whose values don't conflict with yours, you know, like, so like, who would you like to work with that you already have access to? And so we explored that. And what I wanted him to do was just make small bets and look for feedback that was positive. So like, what are the leading indicators that a a positioning statement or a niche market or however, whatever, whatever level of definition that you have, if you send out this signal, just do like uh, a listening tour or play the introduction game or whatever little things that take almost no time. And people are like, oh, yeah, I would. They, and they want to spend something. They either want to take my money. I'll mm-hmm. do this right now. Or, oh, I know I have to introduce you. I have got to introduce you to Bob. So they're, they're risking their reputation. So they're risking either money, reputation or time. If they're like, mm-hmm. like, oh, this is amazing. I know we only set up a 15 minute call, but we need to book like a two hour brainstorming session. I really want to hash this out with you. So if, if you find someone that's w- willing to risk time, money or reputation and on a brand new positioning statement or or some offer, some kind of like marketing material, that's a really good sign. Yeah. Um, the other thing that can happen, and this is where luck comes in, where luck comes in is they introduce you to someone who's like a super connector or like the, like the head of an association or an online community and they want you to come in and speak about this thing. And that is, I've often in the past talked about increasing your luck surface area. Like you can't control mm-hmm. it, but you can do things to increase the surface area of the possibility of, of good luck happening. So like fertile ground for good luck. And one of those things 
is networking with a very clear positioning statement. I guess that's two mm -hmm. things. But if you have a very clear positioning and, you, and you're actively meeting new people online or in person, you're creating a really big luck surface area because people love like matchmaking. They love introducing people for win-win types of things. And you sort of set yourself up for serendipity so yes. yeah, so that was a long, <laughs> that was a long way to say, I think you can have a positive influence on your your good luck. Well, and I think the other thing is that it, I mean, the point of all of this is that you can test, you can do these small bets. Like doing either of those things can give you really quick traction. Like I think about doing the listening tour, the first one that I did, incredible traction. Um, Introducing a podcast with the name Soloist Women has meant people have introduced me to people that to other women who they think should be on the podcast or that I should know. And it's, it's, yeah, and you just watch it and it multiplies. And so, but it's an easy way to tell because if nobody's interested, if you're not getting any hits, and by hits, I mean kind of like a dopamine hit. Right. Like somebody goes, oh, I heard you're doing this. Or, you know, to your point, they do a, an introduction. Um, if you're not getting those hits, it's probably not going to happen unless you like really stick with it for a reason that is way bigger than your business, like a revolution that you want to make. And you're not so worried about um, how quickly it catches on or how much money you make in the short run. Right. Right. Really long game. And yeah, and you just you just have to be very small bets if you're gonna you know yeah. keep coming back and playing that game. It has to be like safe enough that no no one investment is gonna wipe you out. Yeah, yeah, you're not putting um, you know all your money on red. Yeah, <laughs> red twenty. Although at least that's at least that's yeah. If it was just red, at least that's a fifty percent chance. But <laughs> that's the only thing I've ever put money on in Vegas was I I the. I think it was the first time I went to Vegas. I was like, oh, I'm going to bet on this. And I was like standing next to a roulette wheel and I put down 20 bucks and I lost. And I'm like, that was the stupidest thing I ever did. <laughs> and I was just like, I'm like, I guess I'm not a gambler. Yeah, well, there's, you know, there are games where there's skill like poker. There's some skill. There's still luck. But mm. and then there's, you know, the slot machine, which is all luck. <laughs> yeah, not interested. And yeah, the odds are stacked against the one pulling the lever <laughs> or pressing the button. I boy, These days. yeah, it's pressing buttons now. Probably just wave your hand now, <laughs> blink, and it will. Yeah. <laughs> so all right. So when do we deploy this mental energy? Because you probably make ten thousand, a hundred thousand decisions a day. You're not going to deploy this sort of like metacognition around. Um, this decision I'm about to make, what are the what are what are the odds? Like, how much of this can I control skill-wise, and what what are the the luck components, and how do I mitigate those things? So, how do you know when you should take the time to really explore these decisions? Like, just from your personal mm -hmm. experience. Well, I mean, I think that there's at least two, and probably three things that I would look at, and and it's. How much time is this going to take me? You know, is this a significant time investment? Um, and it, it, it might also be like 
the depth of cognitive work, not just how much time, but like how deep is it? Um, there's money. How much money is this going to cost me? Mm-hmm. Um, and something, I don't know, I just jotted down reputation. I'm not even sure that's the right word, but it's like, what does this do to how my business is perceived? So yeah. it's, it's positioning, but not. That's a good one. Yeah. So, I mean, like those are the, those are the big three that I would think about. So if it's, you know, if I'm just deciding, um, oh, do, do we invite a guest or do we just talk? Like that's a low stakes decision, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's easy. Um, if it's, am I going to spend the time and energy to write a book? And, uh, you know, how much time? Like that I would really think through on all three fronts. Time, money if I'm self-publishing or money if I'm giving up revenue in order to create the time to write right. and then the reputation piece so what's the investment is this going to help my reputation is it going to hurt it mm. yes right so like you've already mentioned the podcast the the new podcast that felt like something you really explored i did before you placed the bet before you decided yeah I did. And it's funny because I, I always chuckle because, you know, your line is, you know, if you can if you can record a Zoom call, you can do a podcast. Yeah. And and I think that's true in terms of like the mechanics of it. But for me, doing another podcast, because I don't think of myself as like an instinctive podcaster. I'm not the person who's going to have like five podcasts. Uh-huh. But for me, it was an investment in in time Um and not just like the thinking about it, but it was the, am I willing to commit the amount of time that it takes to do an interview based show? Right. Because that's doing research, it's reading their books. And am I willing to spend the money to have other people do things for me? And that was, you know, the money isn't like, it's not a lot of money, but you know, it's enough to say, oh, I should think about this. But probably the biggest piece was, was that reputational piece. Like, is this something that people want to hear from me? Is this a podcast that only I could do? Because that's a thing I kind of like when talking to people about, you know, should should they podcast or should they not? It's like, well, what what do you want your podcast to be about? And is it something that really only you could do? Mm. And so I spent a lot of time like going through those three things and, you know, and the fear factor about, you know, like it's easy because I have you as a partner. So I can just say, oh, yeah, it's Jonathan's fault if it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much easier when you have a partner, right? You could tell yourself that. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, no, that was Jonathan. That wasn't me. That wasn't luck. That was Jonathan. You can throw me under the bus. Yeah, when it's just you, it's, you know, there's there's no place to to point any fingers. So, mm. yeah, I did. I it, For me, it was a it was a consequential decision, I guess is what I would say. Not momentous but consequential right right yeah i'm trying to think i'm trying to think of here's okay here's a funny insight maybe it's not an insight but i'm like trying to think of the last time i did that and it's nothing's jumping out at me which makes me think i'm not placing enough bets which is consistent with my past behavior as well so it's like interesting yeah right so like it's not a skill versus luck thing so much but if i was let, let's think let's think i've got a bunch of things in the hopper so like i haven't launched i've got this thing this new thing i don't want to feel, feel like i'm promoting it but it's a i've got this new thing that is not poor it's it's just hazy it's kind of hazy it's one of the it's just think of like any kind of prototype like it's uh it's an idea for an engagement 
not a product, but like, you know, productized service. And it's a little bit hazy. I got some feedback. I, I feedback felt right, tested a little bit, didn't work, but it was very, very small, very small test mm. and got feedback that uh, let's just call the feedback confusion. Oh, so I'm like, okay. okay, it's not clear. Somehow okay. it's not clear. I thought it was clear. It's not clear. Um, it's actually helpful. Oh, that's super, super helpful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what's, what's the takeaway there? I thought I knew more from the, from the little bit of research I did. I wouldn't say I went on a listening tour, but I did a little bit of research with like key people. And from that, I thought I had a clear picture. And then when I shared that with a small group of people, I got nothing but confusion back. Lots of, lots of questions and, and like comparing it to the wrong things. And it's like, wow, I did a really bad job on that sales page. And what is the, what, what is the takeaway here though? I'm like, it's not, it's funny because I'm struggling to find any kind of luck in any of this. What, what would be a decision where I would be really dependent on luck? Well, I guess if you, I mean, if you announce a new program and it's not confusion, they understand exactly what it is. And let's assume the price, you know, I don't yeah, think I'm going to the right place. Yeah, it's yeah. not luck. That winds, up, that winds up being a skill. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to, I, I'm, I'm trying to think of something where, I mean, the economy, like there's these sort of macro forces that affect people, you know, like you don't want to be in the, in the uh, VC space right now. Well, actually this, the startup space is exactly what I was thinking of earlier because, you know, I've got a number of clients and contacts that are in that space and it's been a horrid year Mm -hmm. for most of them. Really, really challenging year. So that's a, I mean, that's a luck thing. That is definitely a luck thing. Yes. And the challenge is, and I've had this conversation with one client in particular, the challenge is like, okay, is it, is it luck, i.e. what's happening in the space, or am I doing something wrong? Right. Is, is there, or another way to say that, that I prefer is, is there something I could do differently that would improve my luck in this bad luck situation? Right. Right. But yeah, and it's, it can be hard for people to realize that they they are the in this case victim of luck but at the same time we're so not wired to just sit sit there and go well I guess I just wasn't lucky this year and do nothing <laughs> right like who does that no we're searching for like tweaks like can we do this or sometimes overhauls but um yeah when luck is bad overhaul isn't always the right answer but during the pandemic it was for a lot of people yeah I I think this was in Ditcherville, where I read this thread, uh, where you know, same same kind of conversation, and and one of the people had a friend. I'm probably butchering this. Apologies, but the basic gist of it was, they had a friend who was like a lawyer who helped people go public, help startups go public, mm. you know, IPO, and mm-hmm. and over the past year has basically been doing taxes <laughs> because there's just, it's just not happening. Like no one's going yeah. public. So, um, so it's, it's like, you know, is that fun for that person? Guaranteed not guaranteed not, but there's this, but to, but to completely overhaul their business when clearly there was a, you know, like an asteroid level event in the startup space, with SVB and uh, mm-hmm. interest rates and all of that. It's like, 
is it time to hang it up or do you want to just you know wait for another a, a better deal you know, like yeah, a better you, you wait it out better cards right like it seems pretty clear to wait that out if you still want to do it i mean you have to assume yeah. the person still wants to do it but yeah i think that that can make a lot of sense to kind of just like hibernate right mm-hmm. and like make sure you've got some kind of cash flow for the time being and then just wait for it to come back it seems like it well and the hibernate could be um not hibernation necessarily, but where you work on a thing you've always wanted to have the time to do, like writing a book That's or developing a, a program or, you know, something, or maybe just not related to your business. Maybe it's, there's something in the community you wanted to do or a cause you really care about. Right. Um, and that's why, you know, having money in the bank is a really good thing when these things happen. Sure. And I, I mean, I have a, a lot of the, the developers in my audience this is probably the first year where I would hesitate to say this, but they could all get a job tomorrow, like mm-hmm. pretty much. They might not like the job and it might not pay great, but they probably could. This year might be a little bit different because there's a huge glut in the market of unemployed software developers. <laughs> right. But it certainly has been true. Um, and, but it's uh, it's not the kind of thing you want. You know, you'd never want to like go back in house. Like I would, I'd, I'm unemployable at this point. And I can barely code anymore anyway, so I guess it doesn't apply to me. But but for folks who are sort of solo business owners and and have that skill set, the hibernate could just be I'm gonna I'm gonna take one for the team and get a salary so I can continue to pay my mortgage uh, while I regroup or just wait for the pendulum to swing back or write that book or you know whatever the thing is. Yeah. But this, but that's the kind of decision when when you can point to a pretty clear, yeah, this does this is helpful, right? Because if you can point to a p- pretty clear bad luck event, and it's not that you were doing something wrong, you just got perfect stormed. So yeah, and I think it helps with you know with your ego and with being able to pick yourself up and dust yourself off to do the next thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's like when you know the crash of two thousand eight impacted a lot of people and a lot of people started you know they became reluctant business owners or reluctant consultants because their job was gone their cushy job was gone so they had to reinvent themselves Mm -hmm. and it happens to all of us in different ways so um yeah i think when you can really understand that you know it's not me it's them (laughs) right (laughs) right it does help it really does yeah it's like the you know this is verbatim anything i don't think she said it on the show but you can look back if you can look back and say like okay did i make a bad decision or did i make a good decision that had a bad outcome i know we talked about this a little bit but yeah she's got that yeah. football story that's so great um and that can that retrospective if i was working with someone if i was coaching someone and they were like all right here's here's the decision i made i would make the same decision again today but i just got nailed by this mm-hmm. the, i got sideswiped uh so just deciding what to do moving forward that that would affect my advice right so like they, they st- yes right agreed like they might yeah. not want to hunker down and hibernate and get some cash flow and 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 just just wait for it to come back they might not want to do that but that would be and that would be an option on the table, in my opinion. They, they might want to say, like, well, what can I do different? What can I do to respond in the current marketplace? Because maybe it won't come back 
or maybe I want something that's a little bit more anti-fragile to use Nassim's term. Uh, what if I, what if this is the inspiration for a pivot or a new product yeah. line or something like that's fine too. But if it was different and someone couldn't point to any bad luck and they were just, you know, like me, uh, when I just like stopped doing any marketing activities, my consulting business, and I was like, geez, I haven't gotten any leads in a while. <laughs> right. That was a, dis that was lack of skill or at least awareness. So if someone had been coaching me, I would like to think that they would be like, well, do you want to keep doing this as a, as a job? Do you think, what do you think the odds that mobile is going to continue to be this kind of like top of the hype cycle in demand skill? And talk me through that, and I would say it's probably going down. It's going down. I would have said that at the time. Like that, that expertise is now built into platforms. Like you don't need me to come in and, and tell you how to do it. It's built into WordPress and SAP and so on and so forth. So they, you know, if I was if if I had a coach back then, probably could have. It probably would have been good advice to say maybe it's time for a pivot. Well, yeah, because there's a sort of a life cycle that you were seeing. It just, you weren't translating it into action yet. Right. There was no bad luck. The good luck ran out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's a, everything has a season, right? It, but that, it, it kind of is like that. There is this, um, I swear I have to look this up, but there is a, um, there's a theory. It has a name. Mm -hmm. as an author. And if you imagine like the normal distribution curve where you go up, 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 and then you go down, mm -hmm. um, the idea is when you, you want to make a change before you hit the peak, because once you hit the peak, it takes more energy to increase because you're on the downslope. And the example that I think they used in the book was Jell-O. Huh. Like remember, like Jell-O was like not a thing. And then they figured out how to remarket it. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden it's, it's, you know, crazy good again. And then it goes down and then they figure out a new way and it goes up. It's so much easier um, energetically, it's easier to do it before the curve starts to go down. Psychologically, it's really hard yeah, when it still goes ahead. up. Like, <laughs> yeah, like the Slack inventor, right? I mean, he, he, he was on, they were all on this upward trajectory. To, so to make a decision to shift when things are really good in that moment is exceedingly difficult. And most of us don't do it. We wait until this, the curve goes down. Yeah, and then forced. we start pivoting. Yeah, and it's harder. It's harder. It's much easier when it's when we're making the decision because it's what we want to do, or we are very good at, at at future forwarding, and we can see a future that isn't what we want, so we pivot now instead mm. of waiting till later. Right. Yeah, I, I, I'm looking at the clock on the wall. I think we should wrap up. I, I don't know if <laughs> I don't know if we helped. But maybe maybe some of these stories are just having the conversation. Maybe it'll start a conversation with people around like attributing success, good or bad outcomes to luck or skill, and like how that how that um, influences your future decision decision making. That was the hope for this episode. <laughs> I know. I'm not sure we achieved it, but it, yeah. I think you know. I think of this of it this way: if you do nothing else after listening to this episode, what might be interesting is to look backwards at something that you considered either a raging success or a raging failure and really just chart it out for five minutes, like what was luck and what was skill. And it might help you to rethink for the future. Mm. Cool. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye.